0: Good morning. Okay. All right. There we go. All right. Don't make me preach to a tough crowd this morning, man. I don't want to do that. Um, I'm used to speaking to teenagers. So I am the youth pastor at New Life, the main campus, New Life North. And uh, so that's my day job. But I'm a Manitou resident. And my wife and I and our family have lived here for the last year and a half or so. Uh, We live right off of uh, Manitou Avenue, right in the thick of it all, and so, how many Manitou residents do we have in the room? Just out of curiosity, let's see a show of hands, yeah. They call us Manitoids, and I'm proud to wear that. I was talking to a guy yesterday, and he lives in the Springs, and he says, oh, where do you live? And I said, I live in Manitou. He's like, Manitou? I'm like, yeah, I'm a Manitoid. And he's like, oh, that's good. That's good. So I told him, I said, hey, Manitou's an acquired taste, man. But once it gets in your blood, you don't want to leave. And so my wife and I, we, uh, we actually moved up here, like I said, about a year and a half ago. And we really didn't know why. Uh, we actually got kind of stranded here. We were visiting from Texas. And on our the, the whole week we were up here, we are looking at the Springs, Garden of the Gods. We didn't know anything about Manitou. But as we were on 24, the last night, right before we were going back to Texas... We looked down and the sun was setting and looked down in the valley and as many of y'all have, you go, oh my gosh, what in the world is down there? Now that looks cool. And that's what we did. And so we drove up around Pikes Peak area, Woodland Park. We came back. It was dark. We were sitting at the light at Serpentine Road and my son was in the back seat who who was about to graduate from high school and move up here. And he said, hey, dad, can we go down and check that out? And I was like, son, man, I, I wish we could, but we don't have time. We gotta, we're going to drive straight from here back to Texas, and all of Colorado is going to be thrilled to get one less Texan out of here. You know what I mean? And so, so, you know, we, it's time for us to go. And as we sat there, I thought, man, I'm not always going to have my son in the backseat saying, Dad, can we do something? The light turns green. And this is a direct quote, and we're in Manitou, and it's okay. I said, ah, screw it. So we turned on to Serpentine Road, and that statement and that turn left, has led us here and has allowed me to be the preacher this morning. Uh, God had some crazy plans, and he's still unfolding them, and I share that with you because I want to let you know that God has a heart for this city, and I know the reputation that it's got and all the rest of that stuff, but you know what? God is in the business of writing new stories for people and for cities, and he wants to heal this land. He doesn't want to change the character of Manitou. So that's the thing. We're not coming here into Manitou to ride on a white horse and say we're going to just sanitize the city. No, there's a beauty about this city that we want to protect, but we also want to see the life that God has already preordained for the city to come alive. This city was founded on a place of healing. I don't know if you know the origins of this city, but it was a place for healing for people with tuberculosis and people with all these ailments would come here and try to find healing in the water and in the air and in the atmosphere and the land, and God has blessed this land. And we just want to see it used for his greatest glory because he's the one that's made it so beautiful and unique. And so we just want to see God's original plan for Manitou come to life and not have it hijacked by darkness and by pain and by abuse and by uh, homelessness and, and, and loss and these types of things. We want to see those things move out of the way so this could be a beacon of light and life and true physical, mental, and spiritual healing to see the full manifestation of God's plan for the city. That wasn't in my notes, but that's in our hearts. And that's what we want for Manitou Springs. And so before we moved up, because God said this is gonna be where you're gonna live, and we're like, Lord, what, what do you want us to do when you get up there? And he's like, I'll show you when you get here. And we're like, okay. So after 20 years, we packing up our back boxes. And one of the things in the midst of like leading up to our time to live in Manitou was we had a lot of people to connect with and say goodbye to. Maybe you can identify with that, but Dave, you remember, man. We drank gallons of coffee with friends because we were meeting with so many people saying, hey, we love you. And it's funny because in the course of our conversations, as we said goodbye to family and friends that were so close and dear to our hearts, it's funny how it's... You don't, you don't have, there's no time for small chat, I guess is the way that I would put it. Because you don't know, this may be the last time you're with this person, or this family, or at least for a really long time. And it's funny how the words that you choose are different than, hey, how are the Spurs doing? Right? San Antonio Spurs, y'all don't know nothing about that. How's, hey, did you, get the, did you get your car fixed? You know, the normal everyday conversations. No, when you realize that this may be the last time I'm gonna be in this person's presence, you want your words to count. You want them to matter. There's, as we continue this, this series called The Holy Who, there's a scene in Acts chapter one that's very similar to the one that I described in the weeks leading up to our move where Jesus is actually saying goodbye and he's leaving These men that he's done life with for the last three years. And so Jesus, just like us, of course, all of his words mattered and all of his words counted. But he could have said anything to this group of men, right? So he is about to ascend to the Father. So just to give you some some context here, in this passage, what has happened and already taken place is that the things that were predicted hundreds and years ago and thousands of years ago, in some cases, were about Jesus' birth, his birth, death, his burial, resurrection, all of these things are now past tense. He has overcome the power of sin. He overcame the grave. He has reclaimed his life. He has raised himself up by the power of the Holy Spirit within him, the same spirit that now lives in each and every one of us who claim the name of Jesus over our lives. That same resurrection power that lives in us. So now he's looking into the faces as the resurrected Christ into these men that he's invested in and done life with for the last three years. So here's the thing: Jesus could have said anything, and I could be preaching on a whole different phrase that he was about to say to the. I I could we could say, oh yeah, well Jesus when he looked into the faces of these men, he said, "Don't be polluted by the things of the world, but be." refreshed by the Holy Spirit and, and living in holiness and godliness, and, right? He could have said things like that, and we'd be preaching on that instead, right? He could have said, always keep your eyes on the Father, always keep your eyes on the finish line, and we'd be preaching on that. But Jesus doesn't say those things. His last words, his, some of his last statements, he could say he wants them to count just like they would matter to us when we say goodbye to someone we love. So this is what he says. This is, this is the statement. He says, you're going to receive power. Now, this verse is taken a little bit out of context, and it's kind of zigzagging. If you read the first seven verses, they're just kind of all over the place, okay? There's these questions and answers taking place. But he says, guys, here's what you need to know. Listen up. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. I want to stop right there, and I want to let you know. That we cannot live the godly life that we aspire towards on our own strength and power. And I think for so many Christians, <laughs> the reason why we get burned out, the reason why we get discouraged and we get tired is because we have our own idea of what holiness looks like. And so we rely upon our own power and strength to live out that version of holiness. This is called self-righteousness. Another, word is, another phrase that you could apply to it is spiritual pride. It is only by the power of the Holy Spirit that I have any reason to stand up here and say anything to you in a microphone. I don't have anything special to offer anybody today, but by the Holy Spirit, something's going to take place. And so he's saying the power is going to come through the Holy Spirit when it hits you and you will become my witnesses. So now this is the effect of the Holy Spirit in these people. And he says, you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And it's after this scripture in this passage points out that Jesus then ascended back to the Father, where he is at currently, alive, seated at the right hand of the Father. And scripture says that he's pleading on our behalf, by the way. He's so good. He's so good. Here's what happens. So these men, they receive the Holy Spirit, right? We see that happening in Acts chapter two. But if you go to Acts chapter five, as promised, we know the Holy Spirit has come and they're preaching in a Jewish temple. And this is what they're saying. Now you gotta understand. It would be the same thing as us being empowered by the Holy Spirit walking into Manitou City Hall and beginning to preach. The temple, yes, it was a place for religious observances, but it was also kind of like the city council. And so to walk in there and start talking about this new way of life, really wasn't embraced all that much, okay? After all, the same people calling the shots before Jesus died, they're the ones who tried to get, who actually were successful in getting him killed, they're still around. So for someone to come back in and say, hey, y'all remember Jesus? They don't wanna talk about Jesus. But when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you can't keep your mouth shut about him. If the Holy Spirit, and we're submitted to the Holy Spirit, so they, this is what they're saying. These guys are going in and they're saying, we got this great news. Hey, regardless of your background, regardless of the fact that you're a woman or a man, regardless of whatever religion you've observed up to this point, you can exchange your sins. You could exchange your life. You could exchange your identity and you could be forgiven and made new once and for all, regardless of what you've believed. Gentile. Jew, it doesn't matter. This is not a very welcomed sermon or perspective on what it means to follow God because you've got to understand that there's a system in place where you behave. You you follow the law to the T. You are a moral person. This all rested upon you. The problem is, is that the law shows just how incapable we are of keeping it we're bad at keeping the law. Why? Because scripture says we're lawbreakers by our very nature. And the law highlights this fact so we go, I am under the weight of this law. But Jesus came and he fulfilled the law, and he says, "Now I extend to you grace, not because you've kept the law, but because I've kept it for you and you've received this gift." That's why it's called the good news. We can breathe a sigh of relief. The Holy Spirit lives within us, and we don't have to spin a thousand plates to get God to like us or pay attention to us. His Spirit lives within us, and we are free to live and serve Him, not to earn His love, but because we already have it. Yeah. And so these, this, this, this message is revolutionary and is spreading like wildfire because the days of failing to obey the law, the days of having to sacrifice animals over and over for the, sh- for the sins, they're done. The sacrificial lamb of Christ has settled all this once and for all. And so people are coming to Christ, big time, or as our president would say, big league, okay? Oh boy, that joke didn't go over well. These (laughs) disciples, in spite of being arrested though, they're getting beaten, And, and they are being arrested, and they're starting to develop a criminal record because they're talking about Jesus, but they can't stop themselves. And in Acts 5.32, they get brought before these religious leaders, and these religious leaders, in paraphrase, are like, what the heck are y'all doing? Y'all need to shut your mouths, because if you don't shut your mouths, we're going to shut them for you, right? That's what these religious leaders are telling these guys who are filled with the Holy Spirit, but this is their response. They didn't say, hey, that's, a, that's on us, our bad. No, actually, this is what they say back to these religious leaders. They're looking up into their faces. They go, listen, we are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit who is given by God to those who obey him. In other words, we really can't worry about how you feel about this. We can't help it. We are witnesses. You're asking us to deny what we have been witnesses to. And by the way, it's not just us. The Holy Spirit is also nodding its head saying what they're saying is right. They can't shut up about it. And so, for the last 2,000 years, God's primary method of communicating the message of the gospel, generation after generation, to the generation sitting in this room, has been through normal, everyday, broken, uneducated, washed up people who chose to put their faith in Jesus. That's it. We don't have this wonderful pedigree of spiritual pedigree in our backgrounds. Many of us came in broken but we now became witnesses to what Jesus has done for us and we can't keep our mouths shut about it. It's an amazing thing. People empowered by the Holy Spirit, regardless of their background or where they came from. That's it. Their story and our story testifies to the reality of what God has done within us. And so for me personally, I'm fascinated by people's stories anyway. As I get to know people, I'm like, please, tell me your story." And and these amazing students up here have heard me share a bit of this story, what, probably five times at this point? They could probably tell my own story better than I can at this point. But I really am, I really am fascinated by people's stories. And the way that I kind of characterize it is, if you and I were at Good Karma, or we were at uh, Red Dog Coffee, and we're sitting in those chairs, those blessed and highly favored chairs in the back, instead of the hard stools, I would say, share with me your story. And maybe as we got to talk, you would say, well, share, share a little bit more about yours. And what I would tell you in, in short, and I would just fly through some of the higher parts of, of my story, but I would say I started going to church nine months before I was born, okay? And, uh, yeah, and you can see that I'm not really excited about that fact about my life. I grew up in church. I was a church kid. And my dad was a pastor is why. And so I was at church, no exaggeration, five to seven days a week doing something, okay? Either my dad was counseling people or, or whatever it may have been, but I was there a lot. And so as a little boy, I wanted to be just like my dad. And so I wanted to be a preacher. And so from the time I was very little, I would preach. And I didn't have a platform, but I had this picture window in our house that I would stand up in and I would yell, Jesus, the Bible, right? And I would preach my little face off. And there's actually a picture of me. That's me right there. <laughs> in my underwear, preaching the word of God. I didn't have a priest robe, but I had some pull-ups. going wanna put that back up there? Pampers, that's right, there you go. You know, I was sharing with the audiovisual team earlier that if I did that today, it wouldn't have quite the same charm as it does that picture, right? Aren't you glad I chose to get dressed today? God is good. All right, you can take that off now. But uh, (laughs) with that said, as I grew up, I wanted to be like my dad. And so I would travel with him, and he would preach, and he was this dynamic speaker. And I would sit on the front row with my little suit on and just watch him. And as I got older, I was just like, man, that's what I want to do. That's what I want to be. I'm a preacher. Well, when I was around 10 years old, I got into, my family actually got into the season that we didn't ask for. How How many of you all in here have been through seasons that weren't welcomed, that you didn't ask for, right? We have faced some life. We have struggled with some things, right? And it's not because we invited that in, but it came to us. And that's kind of what happened with my family. My dad, um, we, we, the church was growing, and he was on television, he was on radio, and our church was getting bigger. And so we built this new building on the north side of San Antonio. And right around that time, there was a church split. And if you're not familiar with church life, this seems to happen sometimes when people love their ideas more than the ideas of God. And so they started inserting those things and saying it's from God. And so there was this split. And so they didn't like his leadership. There were some other things about maybe him they didn't dig. And so they tried to get him fired. But the problem is, is these were some of my dad's closest friends. Around the same season, what happened is my mom was diagnosed with double breast cancer. So now my dad's trying to keep the ministry alive, trying to keep his position because he felt God called him there. And my mom has double breast cancer, and he's trying to keep his wife alive as well. (sighs) Over about two years, um, he survived it. My mom did too. Thankfully, she got better, and she's with us today. She's not in the room, but she's with us and humanity. And uh, we're very thankful for that. She's, She's doing great. But my dad never fully recovered from that. And what I noticed is that some of the fire kind of left him from his preaching. I would notice this because I was, if anybody was a fan of him, it was me. And I could tell, like, it doesn't look the same. And he just didn't have that same fire. And so I also noticed, though, that my mom and dad were beginning to lose their fire in their marriage as well. And as this 10-year-old, 11, 12, 13-year-old boy, I began to notice a couple of things about my family. Number one, mom and dad are sleeping in separate bedrooms. And... And, and I noticed that my dad wasn't as interested in me anymore either. And so I found that hurtful. I'm like, I don't understand what's going on. He began to detach from all of us. And so he would get up on stage and he would talk about things like I'm talking about today. But I could tell Monday through Saturday there was a disconnect. Well, now that I'm 13, 14, 15 years old, I'm starting to see hypocrisy as the way that I would label it. And so the idea for me of being a preacher on a Sunday morning at any church. Really didn't sound that great anymore. Why? Because I began to resent this man, and I began to hate this man. I thought he was a jerk. I thought he was a hypocrite, and anything associated with him, I had, I didn't want it to have anything to do with it. And so I began to pull back from him as well. Um, I tried to embarrass him as a pastor's kid, so I became a true pastor's kid. So I was the one smoking cigarettes behind the church building. I was the one trying to find girls to make out with in rooms in the church. I'm not. I, Hey, it's real. We're in Manitou. We can, we can be honest, right? Or do we have to play church today? I just, I'm going sh- to share my real story with you guys. My testimony. Get your own if you don't like mine. So I developed this thing called obsessive compulsive disorder because I've also learned over the course of my life that there's exploders. And these are the people who are the bullies. They're the abusive ones. They're the people that, you know, just really, we have a hard time liking. But then there's also those who are imploders. I'm an imploder. I learned how to fake it really well. So if you saw me, man, you'd go, that's such a well-mannered boy. Oh, look how happy he is. Such a good kid. And man, I learned how to fake it like no other. That's all. I was a good actor. When I was around 17, there's a lot in this story, but I'm just giving you the highlight reel. When I was 17, I noticed that my dad would keep this briefcase with him all the time, and I was, couldn't figure out why. I thought it was weird. I, at first, I didn't notice it, but I noticed over the period of about six months that he literally slept with it next to his bed. I'm not exaggerating this. And I, I thought that was a little weird, but, you know, whatever. It's It's dad. But one night, I, saw, I, was in, I was in the garage and I was playing drums because I'm a drummer. And that's, I learned that you can, get, like, get girls by being a drummer in a rock band. And so, whatever it takes. And so, I'm playing drums and my dad walks in. But I notice that he puts the suitcase or his briefcase in the trunk of his car. And I look at it. He walks through. He's like, hey, David. Um, hey, Dad. And he walks inside. I'm like, oh, tonight's the night. I'm going to find out what's in that thing. So, he goes to sleep. I sneak in. Snag the keys to the Buick, I get in his car, I drive the Buick and the briefcase two blocks away to Albertson's grocery store, I'm sitting in the parking lot, and I'm determined to get this thing open. started at zero, 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 because it was one of those three combination lock things. Around 740 something it opens. And I opened up that briefcase, and what I found in there was all that I needed to realize that everything that I suspected about my dad was true and worse. I wish I had more time to get into the story, but the bottom line is what I discovered was that there was a lot of proof pointing to the fact that he was not being faithful to my mother. I share this with my mom, she's heartbroken, cancer survivor, confronts my dad, my dad quits the church, he starts a brand new life, he leaves myself and my sister and my mom, doesn't pay child support because he's got new, a new life and a new honey, or honeys, plural, and to support. And that's a very expensive thing, by the way. And he moved on. We got evicted from our home. We didn't know where we were going to live. My mom was 46. She had never worked before. My little sister. And remember, we would be praying at night, God, we don't have any food tomorrow to eat. Would you please? And God was so faithful, by the way. People would bring by boxes of food. This happens so often after we would pray. And they would go, I don't know why, but we just felt like we needed to bring over this food to you guys. Do you need these things? And we're like, yes, yes, we do. We're starving. And and that's how God would provide, though. So I want to let you know, just as an aside, God has a very, very special spot in his heart for single mothers and widows and children that have been abandoned. I'm telling you, he does. He loves you extra more. I really do believe that. I know that's not grammatically correct, but it's true in the spirit. (laughs) So we got through that season. I started working, got out of school, started getting into just a scene that wasn't good. I'll just put it that way. I was 21, realized, oh my gosh, i got to get out of San Antonio because that's where I was raised. i gotta start, I got to start my life over. I'm, I'm hanging around the wrong people. They're bringing me down. I, I don't know what to do. So I packed up everything in trash bags, in, the, in my little hatchback. And I drove to Nashville because I had a cousin that lived there. Hadn't seen him for 10 years. Said, bro, I need to start over. Can you hook me up? He's like, come on up. So I go up, start over. I got a real job. I started working, like growing up, just becoming a man a little bit, you know? And I met this beautiful receptionist, redhead, just amazing. And I'm just like, wow, she's really a fine girl. Yeah, I'm a man in the early 20s. You know, I'm on the prowl, you know? And uh, so we started dating. And that date turned into a relationship and we got married. And so this is a picture of my wife and I on our wedding day with me in hair. That's right. I had hair. And a hot wife. It was a good season <laughs> of my life, right there. We got into men, or we got into music, and uh, we started writing music. We actually accidentally d- developed a fairly successful music career. So I was able to quit my job, and we were able to do this full time, which was really cool. If you've heard my wife sing, she's sometimes the worship leader here. She's this beautiful redhead cellist. It's amazing the doors that will open. The way that I put it is when you have a hot redhead with a cello, uh, you can get anywhere. You can go anywhere in life. And I just wrote her coattails. And uh, so we recorded a couple CDs. And long story short, we developed a really successful music career in the sense that we were able to do it full time, and it was great. But everything came to a halt January 31st, 2002. And it was that day that has led me here today. Uh, I go into the ER because I was having major heart complications. They couldn't stabilize me. And hour after hour, all, none of the treatment they were putting, using on me, I uh, was saying using against me, they were using on me, it wasn't working. And so they came in and they said, listen, we're going to have to do something that we really don't want to do, but it's kind of a last resort because your heart is doing flip flops and you have two or three things going on right now that we can't, we can't tackle. You're not going to live today unless we do this. Be- they said, because you can form a blood clot, you can have a heart attack, or you can have a stroke and that's it. Now I'm 31 at the time, and I'm laying there, and I said, well, what's the, what are you going to do? And they said, we're going to come in, and we're going to turn your heart off and turn it back on, basically. Oh, that's all? Oh, okay, great. They said, we'll see you in 15 minutes, and so they left. Now, I don't know about you, and I'm not a medical expert, but a jacked-up heartbeat is better than no heartbeat. That's the way I saw it, and I wanted to hang on to what I had. I had a real sense in my spirit that it was not going to start back up. And it wasn't a fear-based thing as much as it was a, this, is, this may be it. This may be it. And it was a sobering thing for me, as you can imagine. And as I laid in the ER, I began to consider my life. And here's one of the things that really concerned me. Is I realized I don't know where I would go if I were to die today. I don't know what your thoughts are about the afterlife. All I could tell you is this. For me personally, as close to death as I was, here's what I thought. What if it's true? What if it's actually true that there is a heaven? What if it's true that there really is a hell? I know that's not political. I'm just telling you this is what went through my mind. What if it's true? Are you, see, it's one thing to sit in the Starbucks and say, well, I believe that when once you die, you, you become part of a greater energy. I understand all those conversations, and those are really fun to have when you're healthy and you have a cup of coffee in your hand. <laughs> but when you're facing death, are we so certain that there is absolutely nothing on the other side? Are we 100% sure of this? I wasn't convinced all of a sudden. So I'm laying there and I went, oh my gosh if there is a heaven or if, this is a, if there is a hell, where would I go? Am I so sure that I would actually go into heaven? Why would I? And what I realized, guys, was one of the most sobering thoughts that ever ran through my mind as I went, oh my gosh, I know a lot about God, but I'm not sure I know Jesus. I learned in that moment there's an eternity's difference between those two things. Just because you walk in this room and sing these songs, just because you agree with the Bible and you agree that Jesus was a good man and even agree that he was the son of God is not the same thing as knowing Jesus and receiving his gift of eternal life that freaked me out now I've got like 10 minutes before they're coming back in to do this and then I'm going to think about my life and I realized my purpose wasn't music I didn't know what it was and I went oh my gosh I missed my shot some of you are looking, what is God's purpose for your life? And I understand what that feels like. And I didn't know what it was. But do we really want to live a life that's unlived? Or do we want to, do we want to figure out what God put us on this planet to do? What gets, us you, what gets you up in the morning? What gets me up in the morning? I didn't realize in that moment that I was like, oh my gosh, I don't know what that is. Your deathbed is not the time to be figuring this stuff out. Yeah. It's too late. So I prayed. I said, God, if you can hear me, I'm gonna ask that you would give me another chance at life. I didn't wanna live and just go back to my old life. I wanted to figure some stuff out. And I said, I will spend the rest of my life figuring out what it means to know you and not about you and knowing what you put me on this planet to do. Please heal me in Jesus' name, amen. Well, spoiler alert, I lived. But as soon as I prayed that prayer, Immediately, my heart went right back to normal. And that put me on a journey. And God called me back, because I wanted to honor the promise. He showed me who he was, and he said, this is what I've made you for. He called me into church. He called me to be a youth pastor, not even a normal one, but a youth pastor working with teenagers. Does that sound fun to anybody in here? (laughs) Talk about an acquired taste. I love what I do now, but man, let me tell you something. It's everything you think it is and isn't. Um, It's a rough gig, but I love it. And I've lived my life since 2002 this way, saying, God, yes, and what's next? Yes, what's next? Yes, what's next? Some decisions easier than others, but that's what's led me here to Manitou, is that same principle. I don't wanna miss out. And I think too many of us in here, we're missing out because we don't know how to be a witness. And we don't value our story. So we go, I have no story to tell. And so in our very, very limited time, in the next couple of minutes, I'm gonna fly through some things and I want you to pay attention to this. Because if you claim the name of Jesus on your life, your story is no less interesting than mine. And you go, yes, it is. No, it's not. And I'm gonna tell you why in a second. How to become a witness. Jesus didn't say, go and be a witness as long as you have a compelling story. That's not what he told those guys. He says, be a witness. Eugene Peterson said the Christian life is a Jesus resurrection life, a life in us that is accomplished by the power of the resurrection of the Holy Spirit. There has been a supernatural before and after that has taken place in your life if you've accepted Christ. So the same Holy Spirit that emboldened these uneducated, Blue collar guys called the disciples to be able to stand and look in the face of the religious leaders of their town and said, we can't shut up about Jesus. Get over it. Beat our backs if that's what you got to do. Kill us if that's what you got to do. We're witnesses and we can't shut up about this because this is the most important message any human being could hear. So get after doing what you're going to do, but you're not going to shut us up. And because of their boldness to submit to the Holy Spirit, we're beneficiaries of their bravery. You understand that, right? And now the torch is now in our hands, and we can't allow ourselves to succumb to fear, for offending people. Of course, the gospel's offensive. Of course, saying Jesus says, "You are dead in your sins, and that your good works are like filthy racks." Of course that's offensive. But the good news is that Jesus, so when we get to Jesus, it becomes good news. You've got to hear bad news before you can get to the good news. So what I would tell you is this. Before you start becoming a witness to other people, you need to be a witness to yourself. Because the truth is, as John Piper says, we need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. And the reason why is because we forget what Jesus has done for us. We forget, don't we? We're like, oh, that was a decision I made in VBS. That was a decision I made a couple years ago. Oh yeah, I remember that time. No, we need to remind ourselves of it every single day because it's beautiful. And so when I realized that, I went, oh my gosh, that's true for me, I have forgotten as well. Every morning, there's two things I thank God for. The first thing is the cup of coffee that I've been given. (laughs) Glory to Jesus. But the second thing is I thank God for my salvation. And I say, Jesus, thank you because of the cross, Because you have done it all, because you've paid it all, I can get up out of this bed this morning no longer condemned, but you've given me my daily bread and your mercies are new every morning because you love me, Jesus. Oh, pray that and tell yourself. Preach the gospel to yourself every day before your feet hit the floor. It works. The next thing is you've got a story to tell. David, my story is boring. What I would tell you is this. Your story is only boring if you're not willing to be honest and vulnerable. Because we're all jacked up and we all have issues. And some of those things we've been running from because we're trying to distance ourselves, I get it. But let Jesus redeem that part of your story and make beauty from the ashes of your story. But if we're not honest and vulnerable, is it any reason why that most of Manitou would look at all of us in here and goes, that's all the hypocrites they meet at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning in the former Mason Lodge. Why would they say that? Because we are. Because we try to present ourselves in a way that isn't honest and vulnerable. Hey, you know what? Let's show our warts. Let's just say, hey, this is what I'm, flaws and all. We got to stop and take off the lame Christian filters. Nobody can identify with that starting with me. Can we be honest and real? If we want to reach them, we got to be honest and hear first. Otherwise, we're teaching them how to become Pharisees. We're not called to do that. So the moment we become vulnerable will be the moment we become believable. (sighs) There's so much more i got to share with you guys, but I, I don't have time. Pastor Joe, forgive me. I'm four minutes over. But here's the thing. Be prepared. You need to be prepared. Now, that's your job. The Holy Spirit has given us a whole book showing us how to be prepared, Okay? If we don't find being a witness of value, we are walking in willful disobedience, okay? And so God says, listen, I will orchestrate the conversations. I will orchestrate the settings for you to be able to be a witness. So don't think you got to carry this all on your own. Our job is to say yes and where, right? So be prepared. Well, First Peter 3.15 says, in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. So that's the starting point. Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks for the hope that you believe. But do this with gentleness and respect so God isn't saying, hey, introvert, hey, low-confrontation person, you're going to have to fight with people and argue with people. No. Have a conversation. Can you share your story? Can Can you be vulnerable and honest? Can you do that? Can you be prepared to give an answer? So when someone says, why do you go to that former Mason Lodge on Sunday morning instead of going to the Incline, which was a battle for some of us, I know, to choose, why do you do that? Oh, I'll tell you why. You see, when I was living for myself, I struggled with obsessive-compulsive disorder. I was broken. struggled with depression. I was a porn addict. I had an adulterous spirit within me. I was a druggie. Whatever your story is, and say, but man, the reason why I show up to that room on Sunday morning is not so I can get some religion, but just because I get to worship a God who's writing a new story in my life. Is it perfect? No. Is it happily ever after? No. Of course not. We live in a broken world and we're still in the process of being transformed and conformed to the image of God. But we got stuff to celebrate today, don't we? Isn't He doing something in our lives? Then we share those things because He's good. He's good. If you don't feel qualified, welcome to the club. Because none of us are. None of us are. My resume says washed up musician near-death experience, youth guy. Big mouth on Sunday morning in Manitou Springs. That's what my resume would say. The last thing is change your perspective. Being a witness is not a chore. All of a sudden, we get into task mode and it feels the same way as if I said, guys, when you go home, you need to vacuum your house. I know. Guys, you need to go share Christ and be a witness. I know are you kidding are you kidding you see the devil has robbed you of the beauty of the story and so when you go all right the Lord told me to come over here and tell you this I'm a witness I used to be a loser now God loves me you really need Jesus you want to go to New Life Manitou on Sunday okay God I did it I did it leave me alone now do I need even to open that topic up we get it right it's called the good news We should act like it. It matters. All right. That's all you needed to hear today. The Holy Spirit is a witness within us. I don't care if you don't feel qualified. I don't care if you feel like, David, man, my story's still a wreck. No, no, no. If you've given your life to Jesus, he's writing a new story. Your job and my job is to give him the pen every day and say, you're a better story writer than I am. Make something beautiful out of the uglier things of my life for your glory so I can be a real witness. Okay? Can I tell you something? My first 10 years of my marriage, I swore as a teenager I would never have a bad marriage. The first 10 years of my marriage, the only thing keeping my wife and I together, because we weren't in church. We weren't, I, I, had, I stopped attending church at 17 when my dad left. I didn't start going back to church until I was like 32, okay? So I just had to take a couple of years off to cool my jets, you know what I mean, and re- hit the reset button. But during this time, because Jesus wasn't in the beginning, and the front of our marriage, the only thing keeping us together was our son and our music career. We would have divorced otherwise. First 10 years, now God's calling me into ministry, and I'm like, honey, I've got a terrible marriage. <laughs> like, I'm going to do exactly what my dad did probably. I could see it. I could feel it. I went, oh, my gosh. But God's good, and he's a healer. So he's healed our marriage. Is it perfect? No, of course not. But it's better, and it's good, and God is good, and he gets all the glory. Would you believe that after 20 years of me not talking to my father, God said on my 40th birthday, I'm 45 now, my 40th birthday, he said, call your dad like, that's going to be really awkward. <laughs> he said, no, no, no. Call your dad. Don't bring this stuff into your 40s. Let it go. <sighs> so I tracked down my dad's telephone number. He answers the phone. I was really hoping it went to voicemail. <laughs> but this is what God told me. And I'll, I'm not sharing this with you because I'm so awesome. I, but I was in a place where I was like, even if he says whatever and hangs up the phone, I realized in that moment that extending forgiveness is not for the other person. It's for you. It releases you. So I wasn't expecting dad and daddy to be coming back, oh son, come back, no, 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 I wasn't, I just, I I had to say it. So I called him up, I said, dad, this is David. Huh? (laughs) It's your son, remember? Remember that guy, the cute little brown hair, you know, brown hair, brown eyed kid? Uh, It's me. And uh, he's like, oh my gosh, David, how are you? I'm like, oh dad, I'm good, I said, listen, Here's why I'm calling. I know we haven't talked for a while, since like 1989. And now it's like 2011 or something. And um, I said, Dad, I I want you to know something. Whatever you think I'm holding against you, I don't. And I want to let you know that I forgive you, and I release you from anything, and that you and I were good. And there was silence on the phone. And then I got nervous, and I was like, oh, and by the way, Guess what I do now? He's like, what? I said, I'm a preacher. He's like, oh, David, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I know, Dad, I know. But it's better. It's, I'm doing it different. Um, would you believe that Dad and I are like this now? We, like, text each other. We're buddies. When I go to San Antonio, sleep at his house. Who but only God could do something like that? You see, God loves writing new stories from really bad ones. He's so good at that. See, that's my story. And you have stories like that too. I could also tell you that when I went into youth ministry, you know what I developed? A crazy porn addiction. I could share that with you. What do I have to hide? I'm not trying to impress anybody. It's my story. God broke me of that porn addiction in 2012. So like eight years of my ministry, God's blessing me. I'm loving it. And on the same side, I got this terrible sin growing in my life. But you know what? God is good. That's part of my story too. Let's stop wearing the masks and let's just allow God to shine through the cracks of our lives for the sake of Manitou Springs. He is not done writing new stories in people's lives and you guys are going to be the conduit and the messengers of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you so much. That you are the author and the perfecter of our faith. We love you, Jesus. And I pray that today, if someone is in here and they realized that they know a lot about God, but they don't know you, Jesus, that today would be the day that they walk out of this door knowing where they stand with you, Jesus. So I pray, Lord, that you would lead them to come up and pray with the pastor, Joe, or myself, so that they can know Jesus and not just about him. Lord, you have not called us to be fans of you, but followers. And so may that be the case for all of us. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Amen. Would you stand with me? We're going to prepare our hearts for communion. We, uh, at New Life Manitou, we we take communion every Sunday to celebrate and thank the Lord for what he's doing. And if you believe in the Lord Jesus as your Savior, then, then you can come. You don't have to be a member of this particular church we're going to prepare as as we together do we we're going to say this prayer of confession that's going to be on the screen we're going to pray it together and it's to prepare us it's like David preached to to say that we are those that have blemishes we are those that have sin and so we pray this prayer to ask the Lord to forgive us so would you join me most merciful God we confess that we have sinned against you in thought and word and deed by what we have done and what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole hearts. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, mercy on us, forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name, amen.